As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Willkommen, buongiorno, bienvenue, you eight pal. This is the Total Soccer Show. I just threw in a nice <laughs> Scottish greeting there for one of our guests for no particular reason. This is our preview of Euro 2020 Group B. My name is Ryan Bailey. Today, I'm going to be quoting the movie in Bruges multiple times while talking about the Belgian national team. I'm looking forward to that. Joining me today is a man who's going to be Russian to tell us about Russia, Taylor Rockwell. I'm off already, Taylor. Привет, Ryan. Yes. <laughs> I think I did Scottish Russian there, but I said hello in Russian. That counts. Da, da, it does count indeed. Also, here is a man who's going to tell us all about Finland's rich and compelling history in tournament soccer. It's Joe Lowry. Oh, yes, I am. Wait, here, Ryan, can I try it right now? Go ahead. There it is. And I'm done. Yep. Woo! That Thank was good. Good much. start. All right, I'm going to go. You guys can handle the rest, yeah? <laughs> We're all good. Thank you very much for your contributions once again, Joe. Also, here is a man who is as sweet as a delicious Danish pastry, which is why he's talking about Denmark today, Graham Ruthven. Hello, Ryan. Or should I say, all right, pal? I think that's how we... <laughs> yeah, right, pal. Is that how you say it? Did I get it right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely spot on, yeah. <laughs> the official greeting of your nation. I, I introduced you there with the Danish pastry. I was trying to think of what Denmark was famous for. Uh, I could have gone with Lego, but I thought you might have thought... I thought, thought that uh, you were square. I didn't want you to think that. And the other thing that um, Denmark's famous for is bacon. I didn't want people to think you're a pig. So I went with sweet Danish pastries. Are you happy with that? Yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't like a Danish pastry? I mean, are there different types of Danish pastry or is it just the one Danish pastry? Oh, I think there's... Taylor and Joe, please fill me in here. Much like a Danish pastry, because aren't they sometimes filled with sweet jams and such? 
Yeah, there's got to uh, be I a whole like bunch. Ma- right? You made this bed, right? You can you can you can keep rolling with it if you want. <laughs> Guys, it's like it's like lunchtime where I am. It's it's a bit early for lunchtime, but I'm already hungry. This is not helping. I don't know if I get yeah. to make that request for us to like move on to a non-delicious breakfast slash dessert topic. But if we could, uh, my stomach would be greatly uh, appreciative. Guess what, Joe? We can't because Ryan, <laughs> did you say Denmark is known for bacon? Yeah, very much. Really? So. Danish bacon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this I is did not, not know there that. was um, big uh, commercials for Reebok <laughs> in the nineties um, when half this podcast wasn't born. Apparently, um, with Peter Schmeichel as a Danish pig farmer, the, the theme of these commercials was: What would these soccer players do if they weren't soccer players? If they had never found their career, so that uh, Peter Schmeichel was a pig farmer. Uh, Ryan Giggs sold daffodils on the side of the road, and there were various others. It was a very amusing hmm. thing. But yeah, Danish bacon, big deal. Very big deal. All right. Well, also famous for, uh, like, uh, what, uncles killing fathers and then marrying mothers. <laughs> that, that's a big one. They're big on that one. Uh, and Mads Mikkelsen, their greatest ever cultural export. Yes, and very dark drama as well and some Shakespearean yes. stuff thrown in there for good measure. Uh, uh, Joe, at your request, I'm going to cut out my tight 10 minutes on Belgium chocolate. If that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you. I, I am greatly in your debt now, Ryan. Yes, as you are. All right, um, let's talk about Group B then, these games taking place in Copenhagen and St. Petersburg. Uh, Graham, I'd like you to go first and give us a little flash preview of Denmark, their nickname, how they got there, their coach, maybe a bit about their style of play. They are hosts in this one. I'm expecting big things. Yep, and we're going to get the the nickname out of the way straight off the bat because I've been dreading this one. I've been practicing my Danish pronunciation, so I think it's pronounced the Rodeville, which is translated to the red and whites, which I find that latter uh, term much easier to say. So I'm just going to call them the red and whites. Another nickname is also Danish Dynamite, which apparently um, comes from the, the exhilarating Denmark team of the of the 1980s. I would have thought it came from the team that won the Euros in 92, but yeah, uh, yeah apparently it's from the 1980s. And Danish, a, a chant about Danish dynamite kind of sounds like a made up chant that you would get in like a, like one of those goal films that, that, that Santiago, yes, Santiago Munez starred in, like something that would never actually be chanted at a real like soccer stadium, something about Danish dynamite. But anyway, apparently it's real. So that's another nickname as well. So yeah, uh, Denmark are one of the, the five unbeaten teams that came through qualification. Um, they certainly have a bit of pedigree, a bit of form about them. Unlike the other four, those other four were Ukraine, Spain, Italy, and Belgium, also in this group. Denmark didn't finish top of their group they were they were beaten to that by uh, by Switzerland who finished in, in, in top spot but they're uh, they're already in a good position to qualify for the 2022 World Cup they've won all three of their group games against Israel Moldova and Austria they play Scotland later in their group I'm not looking forward to that because <laughs> they have they have thumped everyone in that group and they'll probably thump us as well um so yes I think uh, uh, Denmark are a solid team full of, uh, we'll come back onto this later. I think you're probably going to ask me more questions about the, some of the, the members of the, of their team. Um, they've got a lot of pedigree, a lot of experience, um, a good balance to their team. And I, I like what I, what I see from them. I think they'll do quite well at this competition. I think they could make a, a run even to kind of the quarterfinals. I think that's, that's within their grasp for that. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, talk a little bit more about some of their key players later on. Good stuff, Graham. Joe, let's hear about Finland. Uh, can you tell us first or whether they are actually Russia or not? I'd like to get that out of the way. 
they are not Russia. I've been able to confirm that with my sources in <laughs> Finland. They are not Russia. I've got a nickname for you. I was I was a bit ashamed last time when I copped out of the Welsh pronunciation. I didn't know everyone was going to be doing pronunciations in the native tongue, so I have come prepared for Finland. The nickname is Hukajat, which I'm sure I butchered that, but the spirit's there. Come on, give me some credit. Uh, it translates to, in English, the eagle owls. And I know now you guys are probably wondering, Joe, what on earth is an eagle owl? And I myself was wondering that question just one night ago. An eagle owl is apparently just a really, really big species of owl. It's one of the biggest species of owl. So I guess they thought, hey, we've got one bird. Let's just use another bird as an adjective for that bird. And uh, that will make it clear <laughs> to everybody. It comes from a game back in June 2007. So this is a pretty new nickname for Finland when an eagle owl that was later named Booby landed in a stadium in Finland during what a game between happening? Finland. What is happening? Yeah. <laughs> what is I said happening? it. That landed in a stadium <laughs> in a game between Finland and Belgium and the game was interrupted for six minutes while this particular eagle owl apparently was occupying everyone's attention. Finland went on to win I'm that going. game and they've had the eagle owl nickname ever since. That might be my favorite nickname, not just of mine, but maybe of anybody so far, just because of the fact. <laughs> Joe, you're saying a game was interrupted because there was a booby on the field. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am. In, in more words than that, but ultimately that is what it boils down to, Ryan. Uh, okay, I'm going to keep so it going good. here. Yeah, I'm going to keep it going. Uh, how did Finland get here? Well, Ryan, I'm so glad you asked. Thank you for regaining your composure so quickly. Finland finished <laughs> second. <laughs> Finland finished second in their uh, Euros qualifying group in Group J. They were 12 points behind Italy, so not exactly contending for that top spot. But they were above Greece, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, and Liechtenstein. And as you said, Ryan, in the introduction, this is their first ever major tournament. And that is exciting for the Finns, who I am apparently now identifying with, because I got really excited there just a second ago. Their coach, Marku Kanerva. Panerva is finished. He's been their coach ever since 2016. And before that, he was in their uh, youth coaching system. He was coaching their U21s and then played a little bit as an interim, or uh, coached a little bit as an interim manager, some in 2011 and then some again in 2015 and then taken over full time in 2016. Stylistically, they play out of a 3 4 3 shape uh, at times, but most often, and that was, it was a 3 4 3 against Sweden recently, but most often it's a 3 5 2, 3 4 1 2 shape. They use that in their three games back in March, and they've used that throughout the qualifying for this tournament and other tournaments as well. I think that two forward front is going to be Canerva's go to for the Euros because it gives Timu Puki, who we'll talk about more later on, like a lot more later on, it gives Puki another forward right next to him so he can play off of that forward, which could very well be Minnesota United's Robin Ludd. Shout out Major League Soccer. Uh, it could be Ludd or a number of other players. But either way, that two forward front gives Puki a, a, another guy to play off of. And I think that's big for how Finland like to approach games. Wonderful stuff, Joe. Thank you for the introduction to Finland there, who are apparently experts in bird law, much like Charlie from It's uh, Always Sunny. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to hearing more about them shortly. Um, I'm going to lay some facts on you about a little old team called Belgium. You may have heard of them, guys. You may have heard of them. They were quite good. Um, I will say, before we get into this, um, Belgium and Russia have been uh, in the same group before. I was at the, lucky enough to be at the 2014 World Cup when they faced each other. Uh, it was 1-0 thanks to a Divok Origi 88th minute winner. One of the worst games I've ever seen. Rex Ryan was sitting in front of me at the Madakana. Fun fact for you all. Belgium. Wow. Uh, they are ranked number one, baby. Number one in the FIFA rankings since 2018. They're in pretty good form. Of course, they were third in the last World Cup. They've only had one loss since 2018. 
just to England. No big deal. Nations League last October. Hmm, we can gloss over that. That's fine. England beating the FIFA ranked number one team. Yeah, sure. Uh, most recent game was an 8-0 win over Belarus uh, with a semi-strong side, I would say. Uh, this uh, this one is... They're, they're sort of touted, as we all know, as this golden generation. And we've been told the last few tournaments this is the last time this golden generation are going to get a chance to shine. But, uh, you know, they, they're going to maybe get another one here and their last chance, um, you know, the golden generation year of 2016 in this tournament, they were knocked out by Wales who were in group a, who we've spoken about on a previous podcast that got Mark Wilmot fired and their new manager, Bobby Martinez came in more on him shortly. But before I get there, the stuff you're all waiting for the nickname, the red devils, le diable rouge, die heuten Teufel, uh, reflecting some of their um, their official languages, the official languages of Belgium, Dutch, French, and German there. How did they get to this tournament, you ask? Well, they're brilliant, but also they were... Um, th- uh, this, is all, this is only their sixth European Championships, by the way, which um, is quite interesting how quickly they've risen within the uh, international soccer sphere. They topped Group I. They won all 10 of their games. They scored 40 goals. They conceded just three. They beat... Let me see here. What does it say? Scotland, 3-0 and 4-0. Huh. They put 13 past San Marino in the group. remember that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm sure you do. Uh, they're in the betting stakes. They are third favourites for the whole tournament behind France and England. Those betting stakes maybe slightly biased towards England because of where those betting stakes are compiled. But so maybe uh, Belgium are even higher than that. And the coach who I mentioned, CBS analyst and Wigan relegator, Roberto Martinez, uh, who's in charge of this one. Uh, pretty clear what his formation preference and philosophies are. Tends to play a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1. You'll get the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, Dries Mertens and Romelu Lukaku up top. Up top? Up top? <laughs> the accent I was going for there. Uh, they are spoiled for choice in midfield. One of their biggest strengths. You'll get the likes of Thornton Gazar on the wings, maybe Nasser Chadley or Munier or Castagna or uh, some new talent um, or, um, on, on the other flank. I'll get to that new talent uh, a little later on. Uh, Yuri Tielemans and uh, Dendonka tend to be in the middle, and you've got your back three of uh, Alderweireld, uh, Vermaelen and Vertonghen, uh, joint age of about 256 there. So that's basically what we're talking about for the Belgian team. Their style of play, they... Uh, Martinez tends to borrow or at least be influenced by a lot of Pep Guardiola's work. Uh, We're talking lots and lots of possessions, quite direct and forward passing. They're willing to be patient. They're willing to toy with the opponent. They'll often set up in a kind of mid-block, not really uh, the type of team that plays a high line. Uh, Like to build from the back with their back three. Lots of play in the wide channels. Two players in the double pivot. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne has a lot of freedom, as he does at Manchester City, often seen dropping deep, almost doing that false nine thing. He did so gosh darn badly in the Champions League final. And I think that's about it for Belgium. All may tremble before them, I say, Taylor. Why don't you tell me who you've got? Uh, I have got Russia or Nashi Parni, uh, which would be our guys. So that would be your your Russia National team nickname and our guys have been our guys for a while. If you are a fan of the Russian national team, because you've got a lot of very familiar faces. I know you all were wondering, Yuri Zhirkov is indeed still playing for the Russian <laughs> national team and will be in the Euros. Goodness, He's 37. Uh, they also have a familiar coach, uh, Stanislav Cherchezov, who was the manager at the 2018 World Cup when Russia made their surprise quarterfinal run, is still in charge and has basically been getting contract extensions since that time and likely will 
will continue to do so because he has uh, done well with this team. He got them to qualify for this competition, weirdly by finishing second to, I believe, Belgium, which is an odd one given that they're now in the same group. Uh, They finished qualifying after 10 games, eight wins, two losses. Ryan, guess who those two losses were to? Oh, let me think. It'd be Belgium. It'd be Belgium. (laughs) (laughs) The the team who won all 10 of their games, perhaps. That's the one. That's the one. Less of a problem uh, with Scotland, though, who finished third in that one. Uh, so in your face, Graham, uh, Russia's f- superior to Scotland. You heard it from Russia first. Uh, and in terms of how I would expect them to play, I think, though we have seen them in a, a number of different formations, as it tends to be the case in the lead-up to the competition, I think they will go back to their 4-2-3-1 for the Euros uh, with... Everyone's favorite, Artem Zuba up top. Do you all remember him from the World oh, Cup? Yes. He was the one that yes. was 19 feet tall. <laughs> yeah, he's still there. He is their captain. He is their main goal threat uh, and will remain so. Uh, he will lead that attack. Uh, and then you've got a very experienced back line. And this Russia team on the whole, very experienced. Their goalkeeper, uh, Shunin, will be 34. Zhukov, 37. Kudrashov, 34. Mario Fernandez, 30. Zuba, 32. Uh, Semyonov, 32 as well. So a very veteran team which then leads to the question, a big part of what they did in the 2018 World Cup, and it will be a consistent refrain throughout this conversation about Russia, is how much ground they covered, how much running they did to be able to stay competitive. It's a big reason why they went to the quarterfinals. But a pandemic, a lot of games later, two years on, are those legs able to do that same thing? I think that will be the very big question for Russia heading into this competition, because if they can, they've got the consistency, they've got the familiar faces, they've got some new ones added to it, so they've got the depth they need, they've got a manager who has proven himself at this level before, it's just can the legs hold up, can they kind of keep that performance going, because when they do, they look very good, when they don't, they look capable of conceding from pretty much every point on the field. So um, over the last year, Taylor, a lot of people all around the mm. world have been getting injections by a needle into their arm to improve their health. Mm. Um, mm. I was just thinking about Russia and, um, you know, all mm-hmm. that running they did. No, no reason or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to throw in some allegedly's just to cover our bases even oh, more so? They were so. just unrelated uh, facts. That's all, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely some questionable photos of of arms looking certain ways that you can find if you don't understand what we're talking about, which would be difficult not to <laughs> at this point. Uh, yeah, that is that is a question, and there will be some games uh, in St. Petersburg. Uh, there are lots of Zenit players in this Russia team. Uh, so there is familiarity in where they're operating, but I, I think uh, it, it maybe will be less of a covered thing because I don't expect... Russia to be as strong, but we'll see what happens. And if they do look just as strong and just as fit, then maybe maybe we have to uh, to throw in some more allegedly's as we talk about them as we go forward in the third. Well, night. I say, Taylor, before the Kremlin puts some drones over our homes, oh we should take a quick break uh-huh. and uh, come back with more <laughs> info about these Group B teams very shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, we have returned. We are talking Euro 2020 Group B. We're going to turn our attention to Graham Rutherford, who's going to tell us about Denmark and their key players, their potential breakout players. Are the loud drops still involved, Graham? <laughs> uh, maybe in the background. I mean, is it really a Denmark team without some sort of loud drop influence? <laughs> I like to think not. Um, I'm actually going to rewind a little bit to the Denmark's coach, which I'm going to pretend I deliberately left out of my first section of, of this preview. Um, Kasper Hulmand, who the big storyline with him is that he wouldn't have, have actually been Denmark manager if Euro 2020 had been played a year ago, as was originally planned. That was uh, Aggie Harida, who is a little bit of a Scandinavian football institution, coached numerous clubs in, over in Scandinavia, Rosenborg, Malmo. He had a habit of uh, knocking out Scottish clubs, uh, Scottish clubs in European qualifiers for a while which you know I don't know if that's a measure of a good coach or not I think that's pretty uh, easy to do that he was he was meant to retire after the, after the tournament and um, was played the tournament wasn't played he still left Casper Hulman came into the job and uh, Aga Haraida is now Rosenberg manager so I'm not entirely sure what's what's going on there before last year before the tournament Denmark had actually gone on a, a 34 game unbeaten run um, which was a run that dated all the way back to 2016. So I know what you're thinking. Denmark were at the 2018 World Cup. So I went back and had a look at their tournament and they actually didn't lose a game in normal time. They won one and, and, and drew two in the group and then they went out in penalties after a 1-1 draw against Croatia. So that's quite incredible. Kjellman has is, is, is got a, quite a bit of a, an act to follow. Um, had a modest playing career, only took up coaching in 2006 um, however, he did win the Danish Superliga with Norgesland for the first time in their history. So that put them on the map a little bit. In terms of their style of play, um, it's uh, the, the problem for Hillman is he's had so few games and even less time on the, on the training pitch with this group of players due to the pandemic. It's not easy to see what his style is. Most recently, there was a sense he was, he's still kind of experimenting with his team and he'll do that with the friendlies right up until... The tournament started. He's tinkered with a few formations, but 4-2-3-1 seems to be his preferred choice. And that was a system he used in great, uh, to great effect to beat um, Gareth Southgate's England team, Ryan. Do you remember that at Wembley? No, no. Uh, Keep going. Uh, it's a system that's, that's fundamentally tailor-made for Christian Eriksen. You might have also have heard of him as well. And he's the, the player that I would pick out as their, their key player, 36 goals in 106 caps. For Denmark, as I say, this is a team that is very much built around him. There are a few individual players that are um, as important to their team at this tournament as Eriksson is to Denmark. Until fairly recently, his poor form was a bit of a concern for Denmark, but he always actually has managed to pick up that form for the national team. However, in 2021, as we all know, he's been in pretty decent form for Inter, delivered some some key moments um, as Inter won the Scudetto, so that's that's good for Denmark. I guess um, he takes free kicks, penalties and corner kicks. So he's probably a pretty good pick for your fantasy team, I would say, to put to put him in there. Um, a number of other key players as well. Uh, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg is, is, is um, obviously coming off. I would say a pretty decent individual season, though it was a poor one for Spurs. That midfield unit, along with Thomas Delaney, for, uh, who is obviously at Borussia Dortmund, um, Delaney, Hoiberg, Eriksson, I think that's a pretty decent midfield unit for, for, for Denmark. 
Um, and they've got some other pretty key players in Casper Schmeichel, who is, is following his dad and being a bit of a stalwart for the, the Danish national team, Barcelona's Martin Brathway, uh, Leipzig's Yusuf Poulsen, another key player. So this is, this is a team that is, that has got a, a lot of quality there. And if I had to pick out a, a potential breakout star, it's maybe in the one name in this team that's, that's maybe not that recognizable because even if I go to the, the, the back line, you've got, uh, Casper Myla, who plays for Atalanta, Marcus Christensen, Simon Kerr, Daniel Vass, who plays for Valencia. So these are all known players. The one that's maybe not recognizable is Jonas Wendt, who is, uh, a FC Copenhagen striker. He's scored 17 goals in all competitions, um, for his, for his team this season. He isn't a nailed-on starter for Euro 2020. Casper Dahlberg and Andreas Cornelius um, will be competition for that number nine shirt, but he's got two goals and, and one assist in his last three games for Denmark. So he seems to have made the step up to international football with relative ease. He's 22 years old, plenty of potential, and I think this could be an opportunity for him to show at Euro 2020 he can make this, the, the, the step up. And also he's in a team that will create chances as well. You know, I, I mentioned Brathwaite and Poulsen either side of him. That's that's not a bad supporting cast. So yeah, that's that's what I would expect from Denmark at this tournament. Graham, would you put them like I think I would. So I'm asking if you would as well. I would put Denmark in the same category as the Swiss, maybe just under the Swiss in that like I think you call it a couple of players pretty decent and that feels like this <laughs> Denmark team is like yeah, they're pretty decent. Like every, like across the board there is a lot of talent, there are a lot of big name clubs, but like and there are certainly breakout players. Uh, Yusuf Paulson, we've seen be very good at international level, certainly at club level as well. But you don't have maybe four or five of those world class players that push you to that next tier in uh, like international competition. Yeah, I'd say that's absolutely fair. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of going over old ground a little bit, but Ericsson is the one player I would say yeah. can be potentially world class, especially at international level. Like Christian Ericsson for Denmark. I mean, I know he's been a great player. At club level, but for Denmark, Christian Eriksen is almost a different beast. Like he's, he's, he's really is, has been fantastic for Denmark. So he's maybe the one player I would maybe say Simon Kier is, is, Kier is, is, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's playing at a very high level for AC Milan and, and, and I'll always kind of vouch for, for Kasper Schmeichel when he's not, uh, punching one in his net on the final day of the season <laughs> to make sure Leicester don't qualify for the Champions League. But, um, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of solid, competent players. And I think that's one of Denmark's strengths. I don't think, you know how some teams you go into a tournament and you go, well, they're either going to win it or they're going to get, they're going to finish bottom of their group. I don't think Denmark are that. I think they will be fairly consistent and solid in this tournament. That is a strength in that sense, but it's also a weakness in that they do have a ceiling. And I, I, I just think the quarterfinals is probably that ceiling. I think that's maybe the best that they can achieve. But for a country, you know, the size of Denmark, that, that still would be considered a, a pretty great success. Uh, Graham, you mentioned that Christian Eriksen is a totally different beast for Denmark. Do you mean his corners clear the first man when he's playing for Denmark? <laughs> I've seen some of his corners for Inter, and they've definitely got a bit better. Yes. So, a Ryan bit better t- is maybe the best you can expect from Eriksen in terms of Chris corner taking. Ryan takes so many shots at people during episodes. Like, like <laughs> so many shots. Like, Timo Werner, he's not even in this group. I guarantee you there will be some sort of Timo Werner, like, roast later on. Christian Eriksen just caught a stray. Good Lord, man. You are coming hard. <laughs> it's, it only highlights my own insecurities, Joe. That's all it is. Don't worry about it. Uh, on, on that note, Joe, look, tell us a bit more about Finland. Uh, Timu Puki plus others. And... Yes, kind of, right? There are other key players that I'm actually very, very excited to talk about because I very much enjoyed watching them play in my prep for this show. But 
I don't want this to come off as lazy analysis because I want the, I want to be very clear about this. There's a way to talk about there's a way to talk about Finland that is just <laughs> Timu Puki and then dot 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 whatever. That's not this Finland team, but I will say I went back and watched all of their goal scoring opportunities, all of their big chances from their last five, six, seven games. Some of those Puki's been involved in, some he hasn't been, but regardless, if Finland are creating chances, the odds are very, 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 very good that it's either a set piece, some sort of dead ball situation, more on that later, or Timo Puki between the lines or getting on the ball in the final third and getting a shot off or finding a teammate. He is the attacking catalyst for this group. He is the playmaker. Even though he doesn't play as a 10, he plays in that front two. He can drop in and almost play as a 10 at times. This team revolves around him in possession. And he doesn't always get on the ball because Finland sometimes are forced to play direct, but he's a huge part of this team. He scored nine goals for them in European qualifying or the, the Euro qualifying tournament scored 26 goals for Norwich this season and helped them finish top of the championship table to get back to the Premier League. He's got some other partner options. It could be Robin Lode, as I mentioned earlier. Marcus Force, who's a player that I'll mention again a little bit later. A. There's a couple other guys as well. Zulman's very own megastar. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was going to leave that in later, uh, but well done. Well done. You jumped on the AFC Wimbledon reference faster than it. I could even feed it to you, Ryan. Yeah, they have <laughs> other options. They have other players still that I haven't mentioned in that front line. But again, Timu Puki is is the most important player on this team, not just because he plays and has, you know, gone through a season in the Premier League with, with Norwich when he was kind of the darling of that group, but because of how he's used in this system by, uh, by Finland. So that's a big player for Kenerva in this group. A couple others that I want to mention starting in goal. Lucas Hiradeki is a 31 year old Bayer Leverkusen goalkeeper. He's been Leverkusen's starting goalkeeper this year and has been since 2018. Not an insanely good shot stopper, but he has lots of top-tier quality Bundesliga experience. Really strong coming out of his box for crosses and claiming balls in the box. He's certainly a player to watch for them in this tournament. As I expect, they'll be under quite a bit of fire from the start of this group stage. Two others quickly for me. Glenn Kamara, who Graham may or may not be familiar with. He's a 25-year-old central midfielder for Rangers. Uh, I, I want to use him potentially as my breakout player, but Graham, can I use like a, a Ranger starter? They just won the premiership as my breakout player, or is that illegal? Because if not, <laughs> I've got a backup, and either way, I'm going to talk about my backup. I think for most people, Scottish football is still a bit of a backwater, so you get away <laughs> with that, I think. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll have this be my half. I'll have one and a half breakout players, and Kamara can be that half. He played 2,500 minutes this year for Rangers as they won the title in Scotland. He's right-footed. He loves to drive the ball forward. Usually plays as the the right-sided number eight in that 3-5-2 in possession. Or or he was defending the right side of midfield back in a 5-3-2 block when Finland are back defending, which they often are. He can pull out some really clever flicks and get out of tight spots under pressure. I just like what he brings on the ball. And I wish we would see more Finland on the ball in this tournament than I'm expecting. But either way, certainly a guy to watch out for. If you haven't heard of him, he's a breakout player. If you have, like Graham, then he's not. But either way, my my key defender here, Daniel O'Shaughnessy, 26-year-old left center back, Plays in Finland. He's been a regular starter for them uh, in the Nations League and World Cup qualifying. He's left-footed, and he brings more of the the passing quality, offensive quality in Finland's back line relative to the other center backs that he's usually partnered with. But for me, the most interesting part about O'Shaughnessy is his long throw-in. He has the long throw-in in his bag, and Finland used that almost religiously in the final third. He'll go up from his left center back spot, not the left wing back. So he's not normally taking throw-ins, or at least he wouldn't be for most teams. But when the ball's in the final third, they use him as essentially a corner kick, and they'll have him rocket the ball into the into the box. No flip throw, but just a really, really strong overhead throw. That, uh, shoot, Liverpool's throw-in coach, that's a consultant, Thomas something-something will be proud of. 
Maybe none of you guys know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter. Um, O'Shaughnessy has that long throw in, in his bag. That is a real guy. Like, I'm, I'm not making that up. Yeah. Um, but he he can add that extra dimension, and he's also created some chances for Finland with his throw-ins. And then quick, a word on Marcus Force, who Ryan jumped in. Formal a- former AFC Wimbledon lone E, scored 11 goals for them last year in League One, then scored seven goals in 1,100 minutes in the championship this year with newly promoted Brentford. Right-footed striker, only 21 years old. He's the joint youngest player on this roster. So he's a guy that I don't think many folks have seen. He's really dangerous in the box, reads space well. I don't think he'll be a starter for Finland in this tournament, but he's definitely going to be a guy to watch for off the bench in the next season in the Premier League with Brentford. Marcus Force being in this World Cup is the proudest AFC moment since Shane Smeltz started for <laughs> New Zealand in 2010. A reference that very few people will understand there. Wonderful Correct. stuff. Thank you very much for that, Joe. A uh, little bit on Belgium and their key players. They've got quite a few of them. Uh, this is, as I mentioned, their golden generation. The golden generation, however, is kind of in its autumn years. As I mentioned, this is deemed as one of the, probably the last chance they'll have to uh, get that trophy that has uh, eluded them. Players like Thibaut Courtois, Alderweireld, Thomas Munier, Axel Witzel, De Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Eden Nazar and Romelu Lukaku. They're all at or near the dreaded 30 years old mark. So maybe uh, drifting out of their prime. Um, but if we're going to pick one key player, it's probably... Kevin De Bruyne, as we all know, I don't need to say much about him. We know how important he is in all phases of play for both Manchester City and for the Belgian national team as well. Uh, of course, the big question here is his fitness. We know he picked up quite a nasty injury in the Champions League final, courtesy of Antonio Rudiger. I think it's a couple of bones he's broken in his face and his eye sockets damaged, which you don't really recover from straight away. So he might be borrowing Rudiger's face mask if he does make an appearance uh, in this tournament. And uh, the the other fitness question, of course, Eden Nazar, who has sort of crept back into Real Madrid's team, but, you know, not, not exactly played 60 games this season. Uh, in terms of the players to watch, um, the breakout player, I should say, sorry, um, this is a very well-established team, as I've mentioned, lots of high-level players here, and they are particularly spoiled for choice uh, in, in midfield. But if you can look a little further up the field, Jeremy Doku at Wren is yeah. the one. There we go, Taylor. He's the one who you might want to look out for. He just turned 19 years old last week. Uh, primarily a right winger. He can also play on the left, though. Uh, hasn't played an awful lot for the national team, but uh, who scored? They tweeted out recently, he's one of only six players in Europe's top five leagues to have completed in excess of 100 dribbles this season. He's in a, he's in esteemed company for that as well. So as I say, he's a player who he's going to, you know, he's got a lot of competition to break into this team. But if he does, he's one to watch. And he may even be part of the next golden generation. The platinum generation? I don't know. <laughs> Taylor, Russia. Yeah, man. Key players. Yeah, and stuff. I will say anybody who's played FIFA career mode in the last two iterations of FIFA will will value Jeremy Doku as a not expensive player who is very fast and very mm-hmm. good. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does in this competition if he gets to play. I'm excited to see what he does against Russia, uh, who will themselves be, I think, pretty exciting because we would expect them to be that hardworking team that they were in 2018. I would guess they will be doing the same thing this time round. And as I said earlier, uh, Artem Zuba, the the big man up top will be the key player for them because he he scores a lot of goals for them both uh at, at for the national team but then also I think was the top scorer in the Russian Premier League last season and you would think that maybe it's just like ah oh, he's big he scores a bunch of headers he knocks people out of the way and he certainly does that but I think his size combined with his ability to bring a ball down 
is what makes him that next level threat because he can hold off two defenders at the same time while bringing a ball down and then in step it into the goal. He does that a lot for Russia, like settling it and then just sort of passing it in from seven yards out. Um, if he cannot do that, I would say a potential breakout player would be his potential understudy, Alexander Sobolev, 24-year-old forward for Spartak. 14 goals last season. He is six foot five, also very good in the air, so he's obviously a set-piece threat. Very good from distance, I think because defenders assume that he's only going to be an aerial threat or want to score from up close. Tends to get a little bit of space. Again, this is a club and country situation. They back off a bit more. They wait for him to come into the box, and then he shoots from distance and is very good from range and good on the ball as well. I wouldn't say that he's fleet of foot necessarily. He's a little... I mean, he's not as fast as Erling Holland, but it's similar in terms of his build and that he will do some step overs, take people on, but then also get in the box and win some crosses. So he's a player to keep an eye on if Zuba has to sub out or if they're chasing late and they want to put on two gigantic attackers, they can do that. The other player to keep an eye on when it comes to the way Russia would like to attack will be their likely number 10. It could be Marenchak, but more likely I think is that it's going to be 25-year-old Alexander Golovin uh, of Monaco. I think he's going to be the one to kind of line up behind Zuba. He will have defensive responsibilities, but he'll be the one to sort of link the defense to the attack, especially when they're transitioning on a counter. So I think that's the kind of key attackers you need to know. And then when it comes to their defense, it's it's a lot of veterans. Uh, Semyonov is probably the main one to focus on there. He has been the kind of ever-present fixture for Russia, both in qualifying and in their Nations League games, which have not been as impressive. So we don't need to talk too much about that. But Andrei uh, Semyonov, 32-year-old center back for Grozny, will also be a pivotal figure for this Russia side uh, who can go the back three. And if they do, then that means Zhirkov might be your left wing back. But more likely is they're going to go with that 4-2-3-1 with uh, Zuba up top and maybe Ionev and Kuzyev on either side. Maybe Denis Cheryshev in there too. Taylor, forgive me for a glib question as a general mm-hmm. overview of this Russia team. Are they going to be interesting to watch? Uh, in what way? Am I going to be entertained by them in any way whatsoever? Ah, that's the important question. Uh, I would say probably not. <laughs> uh, and I'm not trying to say that... I honestly am not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to be honest. And I think that I wouldn't say the Russia team of the last World Cup were like exciting aside from how hard they work and that they never stopped fighting. And that is always a, an enjoyable thing when you have a team that just keep going, that really won't back down. And even if they're one nil down to a superior team, I think keep fighting. You'll have that sort of collective spirit and you'll have the obvious veteran familiarity that will will take them a long way. Again, it's a team that made the quarterfinals of the World Cup, and that's certainly not a thing that was expected. So they might not be the best attacking flair team, but I think they will grind results and the level of the grind is maybe not as painful as some of the other teams we've already discussed and will discuss. So I think there are reasons to watch this team, but in terms of really exciting play, I wouldn't say that is near the top of the list, though I think Golovin is more than capable of that and the physical specimen of Artem Zuba, another reason to watch. More to look forward to there from Euro 2020 Group B then. More chat about this group, uh, much more, in fact, after these short messages. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. 
Just kidding. Very much just kidding. Because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy. And they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back. We are talking Euro 2020 Group B, but you knew that already because you've been paying attention. Graham Rugman, let's talk about Denmark uh, a little more. Um, are they better off for this tournament having been delayed to 2021, do you think? I'm going to put my neck on the line with this one and say no. I don't think they are for the reasons I kind of explained a little bit earlier in that they have changed managers. Yes, they've, they've made a, a, a great start to World Cup qualification however there is a little bit of a sense that this is still Harida's team uh, and that you know the, the the new regime has basically just carried on where where the last one um left off and 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 I think there's a lot of questions around Hillman and, and and whether he can make the step up to international management he's not someone who's who's got a an outstanding CV to be I don't want to be too harsh but I think Aga Harida has as as much more of an established figure in Scandinavian soccer so I'm, go- I'm going to say that they would have been in, in better shape last year going into the tournament. That doesn't necessarily mean they're in bad shape now, but I, I just think that unbeaten run and that momentum that they'd build, built up, it really felt like this group of players was, uh, you know, coming to a crescendo. They were, the, the Euros were going to be the climax of, the, of this group of players and this management. And it was, even through Harida leaving and his kind of farewell, it was all building to something and they've kind of had to, to reassess and not start, not start again, but they're they're in this sort of awkward no man's land between the last team and 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 kind of a new generation. So yeah, I think they would have been better off last year actually. Okay, um, Joe. When it comes to Finland, if they'd have played this tournament last summer, they would have had Marcus Force coming directly off of a glorious season with AC Wimbledon, and now that's a season away from uh, this team. So that's going to be a concern, right? Yeah, that lack of Wimbledon momentum alone pretty much dooms them from 2020 <laughs> to 2021. I do think generally, even though having an extra year, despite Force moving on from Wimbledon, I think having an extra year suits him and it maybe suits Glenn Kamara and a few of the other younger players on this roster. 
the majority of this group is older. There are only a handful of players under 25 years old in this entire group. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, I believe, if I'm counting it right. Maybe seven adding in force. But there's not a ton. It's not, a, it's not an overwhelming percentage. And a lot of their key players, a lot of their starters are close to 30 or on the wrong side of 30, including Tumupuki, who's 31, and then Hirodeki, who's 31 as well. Not as big of a deal for goalkeepers, but you get my point. I think having this tournament be a year later makes it harder, and especially having it be a year later after so many games being played so often, that can be challenging. I don't I don't think it's going to be a dramatic negative impact for Finland. I don't think we're going to really notice, but it could be sort of a what what could have been situation if this tournament had been played last year. Yeah, I think that's a, a similar sentiment, I would say, for the Belgian team as well. Um, it's not as if they're in bad form or anything, but the fact that they are an aging team, this golden generation, as I keep saying, uh, is, is not getting any younger. Jan Podongan is now 34. Dries Mertens is now 34 as well. That surprised me on that one. Thomas of Vermeilen is 35. So there's a lot of 30-plus players in this group who you could argue would have maybe been in slightly better shape last season as well um joe can i if i could just come back to finland the the question i directed at taylor about them whether they uh, whether russia would be entertaining do you have any perspective on that from a from a finnish perspective i think finland are are less inclined to go full russia to go full turtle and and sit back and just cover (laughs) ground and absorb nine thousand passes from spain in a group stage i don't think that's going to happen but finland just because of the nature of this group and the talent deficit they're at they're going to be underdogs. They're not going to be attacking all the time. They're going to be more defensive because they have to be. There are still going to be exciting things. Like if long throws, you know, really float your boat, then this is this, this is the group for you. If you want to watch Timu Puki do some awesome things in the final third, this is the team for you. But there isn't a ton. It's not reasonable to expect them to come out and be this open, free-flowing, attacking team like Belgium or even close to like Denmark. That's just not realistic in terms of what this group's going to be. All right. Taylor, Russia. Would they have been better off last year or this year? Are they doing similar preparations this year as they may have been doing last year? Wink, wink. Please answer legitimately. Uh, Yes, I think they are roughly the exact same spot they would have been last year. I'd say maybe they're a little more vulnerable at this point just because the two players that uh, I would say are the potential to be the creative forces for Russia would be Alexander Golovin and then uh, Mirenchuk. Uh, for Alexander Golovin, uh, the season passed, he had over 2,000 minutes for Monaco, 25 appearances, 24 of them starts. This past season, uh, he still made 21 appearances, only 12 starts, only 1,000 minutes. So he saw his numbers cut completely in half. Alexei Moranchuk, similarly, uh, if they were playing this last summer, was coming off of, I think, one of his best seasons in Russia, certainly his best goal-scoring season for Lokomotiv, playing about 2,300 minutes, getting lots of starts, scoring goals in fine form. At this point, he made a move from Lokomotiv to Atalanta, where, again, at 25 appearances, only four starts, only about 600 minutes. So a massive downturn in form from where he was, still playing at a better level, still playing for Atalanta, which is no small feat. That's a Champions League team. But those two players not being in quite the form they would have been at this point last season, I think is a negative if you're looking at the Russia team as a whole. Fair enough. Let's turn our attention back to Denmark. Graham, do you have any stats or overriding numbers that might give us a little bit of insight into this, into the story of this team and, and what they're about? Yeah, so, so, so one number in particular is the number two 
Um, that's the number of clubs that have contributed two or more players to this Denmark squad, which gives you an idea of just how varied it is and, and where all those players have, have come from. One of those clubs is perhaps unsurprisingly uh, FC Copenhagen, given that they are Denmark's uh, predominant side at the moment. Can anyone guess the other team? What the other team would be? Maybe uh, maybe a team that's uh, just won promotion from the English Championship that has pretty strong roots to Denmark? <laughs> Brentford. I mean, yeah. who saw that one coming? Yeah, uh, not me. <laughs> yeah. So Matthias Jensen, Christian Norgard, both both from from uh, from Brentford, um, which is is quite incredible. Um, so yeah, that's that's one of the things that should I give you the, the weirdest soccer related fact as well? Should I put that in here as well? Go Ryan, for it, or? Graham. Hit hit me. Yeah. Yeah, so this this might be going over old ground for a lot of people who uh, remember the 90s, but uh, Denmark won the Euros back in, in 1992, an upset in its own right. Um, but the weirdest thing about that tournament was that they didn't even qualify for it. Um, they were only handed a place after Yugoslavia were disqualified for the breakup of, break of the country uh, 10 days before the start of the tournament. Um, so look this, I looked at back back at this. It was on the thirty first of May that Denmark were handed their place for the tournament. The tournament kicked off in mid June, as these tournaments tend to do, and they won the whole thing. So yeah, that's a little bit weird. Wow. So we're also learning that Group B is one that Brentford fans are going to be very interested in, not just for Marcus Force, former AFC Wimbledon hero, but also because they're links to, to this team as well. Wow, good stuff. Um, uh, Joe Finland, tell me about uh, any numbers that might stand out for them. So I've got the number seven, uh, and this kind of hits at what I've gone back over recently here talking about how Finland aren't always going to be the protagonists. They're not always going to dominate the ball. Uh, Finland haven't had more possession than their opponents in any of their last seven games. The last time they had more than 50% possession was in October 2020 against the Republic of Ireland. Finland aren't just are, are not simply going to come out here and control the ball. And that's not to say that that's the most important thing. You can win games and be uh, really, really, really painful to play against if you take a more defensive posture. And I think Finland will do that at times. And the fact that they haven't really gone out there and dominated any team with the ball in the last seven games, I think is pretty indicative of that. Excellent stuff. Um, when it comes to Belgium and numbers, oh, by the way, I love how Sesame Street this all is. Uh, this team is presented to you by the number seven. Uh, my, no, my number for Belgium is the number one, because I think that's very important. Their FIFA ranking, which it has been for the past few years, which I mentioned at the top of the show as well. Uh, I can go a little bit more in depth than that if you like. I've got some other numbers uh, from the website Total Football Analysis when I was seeking out something to illustrate their dominance uh, and if you look at their possession attacking stats across the last year in terms of percentiles they're in the 96th percentiles for shot on target they're in the 76th percentile for xg per match i just saw your uh, ears prick up there joseph lowry from the mention of xg there uh, but, <laughs> but but those sort of numbers represent the fact that this team is not only very talented but they're very efficient they're very dangerous and they have, you know, a high shots on target percentile. So they are, they are going to cause some trouble. They're going to, if they got 40 goals in qualifying, they're going to get one or two in the group stage of this tournament. I think you can be sure. Taylor, Russian yes, numbers, please. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a bunch of numbers. I'm going to try to stay away from distance covered since I think I've already mentioned that plenty, but they broke a lot of records. They covered, I think, the fifth, fifth most ground of any team at the past World Cup, 
which is impressive given that they were knocked out in the quarterfinals. The four teams ahead of them were the teams that played in the semifinals and finals. So that does make sense. So that means basically of the teams that did not advance past the, the quarterfinal round, Russia ran the most far and away. That was also the case at the individual level. Uh, so you get, again, the sense of the work ethic. To give you an idea, to go with Graham's point about the squad chemistry in terms of the makeup of the team, you've got a lot of Russian Premier League, seven players from Zenit St. Petersburg. So you've got the squad familiarity and consistency there. But with all that said, the other number that I think is is important would be their recent results record since the national team resumed play in September of 2020. They started off with a, a, a win in a friendly against Serbia, a win against Hungary in a friendly. Since then, uh, two wins in nine games. Uh, those would be in World Cup qualifiers to their credit, but they were against Malta away and Slovenia at home. In that same time, they've lost to Turkey 3-2. to They lost 5-0 to Serbia, 2-1 to Slovakia. Nil-nil draws with Hungary and Moldova, a loss to Sweden, a draw with Turkey. All that to say, again, we may have a team that are experimenting and trying different personnel and trying different shapes. That is definitely the case. But you also don't see them rounding into the form you would like ahead of the start of the Euros. They still have friendlies against Poland and Bulgaria to come. So maybe they turn that around. Maybe we get two wins to kind of finish up this period before the Euros. But I think... All of this paints a picture of a team that works very hard, has a lot of familiarity, has played together, knows how to play together, but in the end might not be up to the task and might not be able to make that big run they did. And with that in mind, my final thing I wanted to mention with them is a specific prediction. It's the only one I had for either team, but it's that they are going to concede a goal from outside the 18. The way Russia defend is pretty narrow and pretty deep, and it allows attackers to cut inside and get shots off. It allows space for skillful attackers to shoot from distance, and there are many of them in this group. So I think Russia will be conceding a goal from distance at least once in the uh, in the group stage. I've got to say, Taylor, I'm not warming to this Russia team anymore now that I've listened to you uh, <laughs> talk in excellent detail about them. But thank you very much for doing so. We already had a... I feel bad. I honestly feel bad about that. Because, like, because uh, you know, th- this is a Russia team that lots of people care about. If you're Russian-American or you live in Russia, you're going to care and maybe you're listening. Mm. And I'm not trying to be disparaging. I'm trying to give people a realistic idea of what this team is going to be and and that's what they are now that i've said that they're going to score a million goals and win the whole thing and i'm going to look very foolish but they don't have an arshavin this time the way they did when they made that run in the euros mm-hmm. when they did uh, maybe somebody emerges but uh the candidates are few and far between in my what's opinion. the russian for yogo benito because that's what they're going to be doing right Exactly, of course. <laughs> uh, we already oh, heard a weird or fun soccer-related fact from Graham about Denmark. Taylor, do you have one about the Russians you'd like to share with us? I think I just gave a lot of different facts about the Russians. <laughs> I feel like I've talked Nothing enough. more fun, though. Nothing more fun. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Uh, Joe, anything fun or interesting about the Finns to finish off with them? Some of you guys may know about this, and I don't know if this, that's the case or not. But either way, I'd like to introduce the world, or at least the parts of the world that don't play this, to swamp football, which is I'm going to call swamp soccer um, from now on, which is played in Finland. It was invented back in 1998, apparently. The idea is believed to be derived from a military training exercise. Um, as the name that sounds uh, like the old farm. <laughs> kind of indicates, yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of Celtic Rangers. It's pretty much just soccer that's played in a bunch of mud, kind of a swampy area. There are a, a couple rule changes. It's 5v5, uh, two 10-minute halves. Pretty normal to play while being intoxicated. 
any players, though, and this is the key for the, the three of you guys. We're going to need one more. But any players are welcome to enter a team into the Swamp Soccer World Championships. Uh, so if I can get all three of you guys in and committed right now, you can Venmo me the $20 player fee. Uh, I don't know if it's $20. <laughs> I just made that up. And if you guys can recruit one more lucky person to play on our 5v5 Swamp Soccer team, we can go to the World Championships and compete. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah? It, yeah. it sounds like you're trying to scab us out of $20, frankly, but uh, I, I like <laughs> your hustle, definitely. Um, you know how... It, it looks... And honestly, I'm looking I'm looking at some photos. It looks not dissimilar from some of the grounds in the Scottish Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, um, yeah. in summer tournaments where they have the designated <laughs> water breaks, Joe, how often do they have designated vodka breaks in Swamp Soccer? <laughs> I'm guessing just at halftime, which is that 10 minute period is just long enough to wait. You know, players can make it and withstand the, the 10 minutes. And then as soon as halftime goes, you're, you're going ham. Oh, boy. Well, that was an excellent Finnish soccer fact. Thank you very much. It's going to make my Belgian facts are very boring. Is uh, Roberto Martinez has a bachelor's degree in physiotherapy and a postgraduate diploma in business management. The more you know. <laughs> Uh, also, I'll give you one more, actually. Uh, Belgium, you know, they play in red. Their Red Devils nickname was given to them by a journalist after beating the Netherlands 5-0 in April 1906. I'll give you one more. Why not? It's not as good as Swamp Soccer, but Belgium took part in the first official international soccer match outside of Britain when they played France in Brussels in May 1904. That game ended in a 3-3 draw. Yeah. That was underwhelming compared to Swamp Soccer. Once again, uh, before we um, before we finish this one up, I'd like to get your views on how this group is going to shake out. Graham, if I come to you first, if that's okay. Belgium to, to, to get a clean sweep here. Anything else you think might happen? What are your thoughts? Uh, this one, I think, it, in my mind, has a fairly established order. I think I'm going to be boring again, like I was for the last group, and say just in terms of kind of the rankings. So Belgium, Denmark. I think Denmark will be quite close to Belgium. Um, and then Russia and Finland, I guess, at the bottom. <laughs> All right. Uh, Joe, <laughs> any, Sorry. any more movement or enthusiasm on that one? <laughs> I could be more enthusiastic, but my ranking will be the exact same. Belgium, Denmark, Russia, Finland. I'd love to see Finland be the plucky underdogs, their first major international tournament. I mean, the narrative is there, just waiting to be actually written and typed up. But, I mean, it's kind of a wait and see for me. I think they are the team with the most, uh, the, the biggest hill to climb to actually get out of this group of any of these four. Taylor, are you going to zig where others zag or go with the consensus here? I think the Russia-Denmark game will be the big one in terms of where those two teams finish because, uh, and that was not meant to be a pun about Finland, <laughs> uh, but I, I think I could see that game with some red cards. I could see Denmark grabbing a goal and then Russia having to fight back and Denmark getting another, but I could also see Russia making it really difficult, snatching a goal, Denmark having some issues. So I think whoever wins that one, I think finishes second, but I do have it as Belgium top Finland at the bottom. Uh, and since I haven't really said anything too revolutionary there, what I will say, Ryan, is uh, looking up Swamp football on Wikipedia, I learned that in 2016, the Swamp Soccer World Cup was moved to Istanbul in Turkey. And I had to check 
Once again, it appears that the 2016 World Cup was actually held in China. So it just goes to show that nothing will ever be hosted in Istanbul, apparently. <laughs> oh, they'll get their turn one day. They'll get their turn. By the way, this whole, this whole tournament is actually just going to happen in Portugal. I think we, we didn't make that clear at the top of these previews. <laughs> but look forward to Porto and Lisbon getting a lot of uh, action. Because that's the way things seem to be going in this wonderful game of ours. And that just about concludes our look at Group B. Thank you very much, gents, for joining me. We're going to be going through all the groups of course so stick around listener uh for future episodes of these euro 2020 previews for now though graham rudvan thank you so much for joining us once again that is not a problem good fun as always thank you you're very welcome thank you very much joe lowry a pleasure as always sir you got it well keep on trucking baby it's been fine (laughs) bye (laughs) 